0: It might come as no surprise for those of you who know me to hear that I was homeschooled when I was a kid. Part of a homeschool umbrella group that was recognized with the state, and that group also produced curriculum. And for high school students, they did things like a junior class trip. uh, They did formal graduation programs, um, they had caps and gowns, they had diplomas, they, they, they had the works. So it was uh, a fancy event. Now, in that event, when either I graduated or my sister, somebody, somebody graduated, I'm not sure who, um, but I was sitting there in that building with people dressed in their fancy regalia, and some, someone stood up in the front of the room and sang a song. And that song, the lyrics went like this. I said, "Make my life an Alleluia, a song of praise to you each day, to proclaim your grace and glory. Fill my heart with your praise. I pray. When I stand at the mountain top or the valley of despair, this will be my cry, my song, my prayer. Lord, make my life an Alleluia. Make my life an Alleluia, a gift of love to you, my King. I will join with all creation in the song that the heavens sing. The earth will turn and the planets spin as the seasons ebb and flow. Still, your grace surrounds me as I go." Lord, make my life an alleluia. Make my life an alleluia. This offering of myself I give. I will share your grace and mercy for as long as I shall live. When I come to my journey's end, may those left behind be reminded. This has been my cry, my song, my prayer. Lord, make my life an alleluia. I've titled the message, How to Make Beautiful Music. How to Make Beautiful Music. Now, certainly making... True, genuine music is a great thing. But that's not really what we're talking about today. We will just use music as a metaphor for your life, for your Christian life. And I hope that as we go through this text, and also even just as we read it, that you will understand where the metaphor came from, why we're using the metaphor of music to communicate this message today. It is found in our text. But let's start with... Point one and verse one. Point one is this To make beautiful music, the strong must compensate for the weak. To make beautiful music, the strong must compensate for the weak. Look at verse one. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Now, this is a restatement. It is, um, recovering what has already been covered in chapter 14. But He's tying it together. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. On the music metaphor, when I was a child, I took piano lessons from my grandmother. Now, she went to Cincinnati Conservatory. If you have heard of Cincinnati Conservatory before right now, please raise your hand. Okay, so it's the people that either know my grandmother or know music. Cincinnati Conservatory is a top-notch conservatory. It's, it's quality, you know, just ask Kelsey, she'll tell you. It's, she's shaking her head like she, it's really good. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, she went there in the 40s, 1940s, and she was a double major, voice and piano. I don't know if everybody's a double major back then, but that's what she did. Now, she taught me piano lessons. So imagine five-year-old Andy sitting on a piano bench next to his grandmother, who is quite accomplished. Now, she didn't graduate from there. She transferred because she wanted to go to Christian college. But nevertheless, she was accepted in and all that stuff. Now, during piano lessons, we would occasionally do songs that were duets, now, these were not exactly challenging pieces. It wasn't Mozart or Beethoven or Bach or anything like that. It was more along the lines of the three blind mice. If you know the three blind mice, it goes like that. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You know, three notes. As a five-year-old, you have no skills. You can't do anything. But you think that you can because you've learned this song. Now, you're playing this duet with your grandmother who actually can play. And in order to make beautiful music, the one who is strong must bear with the weaknesses of the one who is weak. So you are plodding through these notes to the best of your abilities, and your teacher is carrying you through the song. They're the one making it sound okay. There is a reality of the strong and weak Christian. And this is a reality that remains. It is an abiding fact of the church's life and the Christian life. That there are strong and there are the weak. And the weak need to be tolerated. Tolerated. Our text says you have to bear with the failings of the weak. This is a very realistic take on the nature of reality. One of the crises of our day is the definition of truth and the nature of reality. The Bible is a very realistic book and it says, yes, the weak, you have to tolerate them. You have to put up with them and it's going to be not real fun sometimes. Trust me, my grandmother would rather play, well, I don't know, she's a grandmother, so she's nice and sympathetic towards her five-year-old, but I imagine she would rather play with a 15-year-old grandchild who can actually play than tolerating the infirmities of a five-year-old who cannot play. The reality of the weak Christian is that they will fail, and they will require much patience, and that process will be unpleasant. You as a strong Christian are not going to like it. You would much rather be running full speed. You would much rather be playing full, full bore with nothing held back. You would, you would much rather be hitting on all cylinders than walking so terribly slowly, picking up the one who is constantly stumbling and falling. Now, bearing with the weak, the weak, this is different from allowing for, or tolerating, or putting up with one who is malicious, one who is abusive, or one who is psychopathic. The one who is weak is humble, gentle, and weak Christian who is genuinely saved, but in our text as they are talking, one who has genuine hang-ups. They're real things, not made-up things, but real things that are tied to their former faith in another religion. And it would be very problematic for those things to be reincorporated into their life at this stage in their life. This is the child who has started piano lessons, so this is where I was supposed to put it, and can only play the three blind mice. If it's going to be beautiful, they're going to need some help. And they're going to need some help from someone who is stronger. And they... That stronger one is not only going to compensate for their lack of skill, but they're also going to have to factor in the likelihood of messing up, losing their place on the music. If you've taken piano lessons, you remember those days. where, you're like, oh, where are we? Factoring in the possibility of having an emotional meltdown in the middle of the second line when they keep forgetting the key signature and keep hitting the wrong flat or sharp. Now, many people have said, if you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. The local church is not an individualistic enterprise, but involves many different types of people. with Different strengths and weaknesses, different abilities and inabilities. According to Romans 12, every believer has spiritual gifts and abilities. No Christian is just a giant pit of inability. They might be so over so overcome right now that they cannot function with their spiritual gifts. The way a sheep that gets tipped over is utterly incapable of doing anything but dying, but when that sheep is turned back over and the blood flow gets back to its legs again and it regains, it's its not dizzy anymore and is able to walk again, then that sheep is eventually able to continue on its life, eating the grass and drinking the water and growing wool and producing offspring. But let me ask you, are you tripped up? Have you been caught in deep mud or thorns have you gotten yourself separated from the flock and surrounded by wolves? Cry out to the Good Shepherd and look up because he's coming after you. He's never lost one of his sheep. He is the Good Shepherd and he is also the patient, gentle shepherd. To make beautiful music, the strong must compensate for the weak, and that includes bearing with them and putting up with them and loving them and coming after them when. They stray. Point two. To make beautiful music, remember the cross. To make beautiful music, remember the cross. Verse two and three. Look at, look at your text. It says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Christ suffered the reproaches of his people and he suffered those reproaches for the glory of God. The cross is the ultimate source of all sacrifice. As Christ, the strongest man who ever lived, made himself low for us. He came in weakness and humbled himself. Think of this. The one through whom the Father spoke the world into existence. Remember Genesis 1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, John 1, 1. There's a bit of a dust up on Twitter this week about the definition of John 1, 1 and what that means. The eternal word, the Logos. God spoke, God said the one through whom the Father spoke the world into existence, Jesus, the eternal word of God, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, entered into this world in humility as a true man. And he retained his divinity, yet he veiled his divinity in humanity. Which means, in his incarnation, as Derek Thomas observed, if you saw Jesus in the first century, And if you asked him the first four notes of Beethoven's fifth symphony, he wouldn't know what you were talking about. You remember, we're not Apollinarian heretics here. We have a true human incarnate son of God. Apollinarianism is the opposite heresy of Arianism. Arianism denies the true deity and Apollinarianism denies the true humanity of Christ. And so if Jesus is only God walking this earth and not a true man and not having true humanity in his life if you walked up to him and you said, hey, Jesus, what are the first four notes of Beethoven's fifth? He would have gone, oh, it goes like this, da-da-da-da. But Jesus, in reality, would have looked at you and had this confused look on his face because he did not speak English. (laughs) And secondly, Beethoven did not exist yet and had not written his symphonies. So in his true humanity, he, didn't, he wouldn't have known the answer to that question. And if that rubs you the wrong way, and you're like, wait a second, he's God, he knows everything, I would encourage you to study the doctrine or the, her- the heresy of Apollinarianism, because that's that. And you have some Apollinarianism flowing through your veins. I did, up until 2018. So his deity was veiled with humanity, and he lived this life as a true human. So think with me, the strong, the weak, that, that analogy. You have the strong one who created the world, has come into this world and is made low and is humble and walks among us. Christ humbled himself to the lowest place and he died the most shameful death, even the death of a cross. It has been observed that Christ is not our example until he is our substitute. So my friends, let me ask you this. Have you taken him as your substitute? Have you taken hold of Christ as your sin bearer, as one who took your place? You deserve the cross. You deserve the electric chair. You deserve the firing squad. You've sinned against God countless times. You've violated his holy law. You deserve death and hell. That God sent his son into the world to fulfill all righteousness, to live a sinless life, and then to die on the cross in the place of his people. To die for sinners, to die for everyone who would ever believe on him, to take all of their sins. Have you taken him as your substitute and has he taken you as his beloved one? We're on the music theme today. This reminds me of a song that the second verse says, I take him at his word indeed. Christ died for sinners, this I read. And in my heart, I find a need of him to be my savior. Have you taken him at his word? Have you claimed him as your own? If you haven't, I would urge you To trust in Christ today, to repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, because the Bible says, if you do that, you shall be saved. If you trust in Him, His life for your life, His righteousness for your sins, His resurrection for your death. Point three To make beautiful music, we must learn from the Old Testament. We were talking about this a little bit in membership class this morning. To make beautiful music, we must learn from the Old Testament. Verse 4 says this, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through the endurance, through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now, the the question of how the Old Testament relates to the New Testament and vice versa is the subject of endless debates, the subject of a multitude of books that are written, and schools of thought and denominations that are built on this very question. But let's keep it simple today. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. This is referring to the Old Testament. This is a reference to the Hebrew scriptures. Whatever was written in former days, that's the Old Testament, books that have already been written. And Paul is saying that was written for our instruction. We are to learn from this. We are to take hold of it. We're not to relegate the Old Testament to an unnecessary Vestige of a former religion, but as the foundation for our religion, the basis of what we believe today, it is all found in the Old Testament. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work work this is a reference to the old testament this is a reference to the hebrew scriptures all scripture is breathed out by god it is given by the inspiration of god it is god breathing through the 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 writers matthew mark luke john acts now we believe that matthew wrote matthew mark wrote mark and luke wrote luke and john wrote john and luke wrote acts we believe that paul wrote the books that he says he wrote We believe that Moses wrote the Pentateuch. We believe that these books were breathed out by God and they're profitable for teaching. It has been said that the way you can apply this is that the teaching is to teach you what's right and reproof is to teach you what's wrong. Correction is how to make it right and training in righteousness is how to keep it right. So that is, he teach you, teaches you what's right, what's wrong, how to make it right, and how to keep it right. So people who think that the Christian life or the work of a pastor is only to teach positive things and not to say anything negative, don't say anything is wrong or false or in error. That is in error. It is in error to think that your pastor must never say something is wrong. Your pastor must never correct, but actually... The work of the word of God is to instruct us, to reprove us, to rebuke us, and to teach us the way we should go. And a faithful pastor will embrace that as well and say, this is what I have to do. It's the job description. And the purpose of it is that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The purpose of all of this is our sanctification and our growth making us able and ready, making us fully formed into mature manhood, mature adulthood in our Christian life. That is the, the role of the scriptures. And the Old Testament is a vital part of that. Now, it's not just moralism. It's not just telling us what's right and what's wrong and how to make it right and how to keep it right, though it is. That is certainly a part of it. That is, a cert- that is certainly one of the uses of the law. But beyond that, we see Christ in the Old Testament. Christ is in the Old Testament. In Luke 24, there's this very interesting story of, of Jesus appearing to some of his disciples after his resurrection. We don't really have time to get into it, but you can read it for yourself. Verse 27 says this. When Jesus had come up to them and he, he met them, it says, Beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Meaning that beginning with Moses, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, through all the prophets, in other words, through the entirety of the Old Testament, he is doing this Bible study with them while they're walking down the road, and he's showing them all the things concerning himself that are there. Jesus is on every page of the Old Testament. I love the way Spurgeon described it when he said, in, in all of England, there are roads that would lead to London. And he says, if I'm on a road that doesn't lead to London, I will find a way to get to London. He said, in every passage of scripture, there are ways to get to Christ. And if, if there's no way to get to Christ, I will make one. Now, that makes some people nervous in certain schools of thought, but I would challenge you to find some scripture that has nothing to do with Christ. Any, anywhere in scripture, you can get to Christ. The sacrificial laws, Christ is our, our lamb. The prophecies, the prophecies are all about him. They're all about his, his coming to earth, either the first time or the second time. Proverbs and wisdom literature, Christ is the personification of wisdom and the wise man. He's the blessed man. He's, he's the righteous man. Christ is on every page To neglect the Old Testament is to neglect the bass notes in your piano solo. It is to neglect the foundational elements which establish which key you're in and what song you're singing. It's to lose the sounds which keep you anchored and supported. To neglect the Old Testament is to neglect the foundations of our faith. The introduction of the character of God. The Old Testament begins in the beginning God. the origins of the world. You also miss the origins of the world, the origins of humanity. Who am I? Why do I exist? Where is it all going? All of those things are established and taught in the Old Testament. And if you ignore that, you will miss that and you will be very confused. This is why our society is the way it is today. A world that is built on a foundational understanding of the Old Testament understands God created the world. He made man and woman, both in his image, that there's two genders. He made them. He made the world. He's the owner of the world. He's in charge. He calls the shots. Not us. This is not a man-centered universe. It's a God-centered universe, and we exist for his glory. He's given us his rules. He's given us his laws. He's given us things called the Ten Commandments. Very simple, very clear. And at a base level, we have the ability to follow them. We have the ability to to be faithful to our spouses and to honor the Lord, to worship him. But we don't. We violate his law. And then we understand the fallenness of humanity. We understand why the world is so broken and messed up. When we neglect the Old Testament, we we don't have a strong foundation for understanding the world in which we live. To make beautiful music, we must learn from the Old Testament. That brings us into point four. We have five today. Point four, to make beautiful music, walk in the power of God. Walk in the power of God. Verse five says this, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Jesus Christ. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus. Now that word harmony there, that's their musical term that, from which the whole theme of this message comes. But this point is to walk in the power of God. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you. Unity and harmony Having your life be a, be a song of praise to God, having your life be a, an hallelujah to God, that is only possible by the grace of Jesus Christ, the power of God that flows through the cross. It's not through the strength of the strong or the weakness of the weak. Some people glory in weakness. Some people love being pathetic. That's not honoring to God. Unity and harmony in the Christian life comes through union with Christ by faith. Now, this is by true faith. There is a false faith. There is that that story described in Mark chapter 4 of the different types of dirt. The soils, where the same seed is planted in each of them. Two of them, nothing happens. It, It just dries up and withers or it gets eaten by the birds. But in the other two, in one, it goes down and it springs up and it looks good for a moment and then it falls away because there's no root in it that's what happens with the false christian that's what happens with the one that looks and walks and talks like a christian for a time that's what we do with the ex-evangelical that's how we understand guys like Josh Harris who preached good sermons to some degree preached jesus but then they stopped and they said oh no it it, it wasn't real Or they say, no, it was real. I I really believed what I believed and then I fell away. Well, the scripture says they fell away because there was no root in them. And that's why we must be careful as a church. You must be careful as individual believers because there are seeds that fall into this shallow soil that has a stony uh, foundation underneath where the root is, is not able to go down deep. And that plant that sprouts up will fall away. We're not doing something wrong if that happens. That's part of the nature of our existence is that there are false converts. And then the last is the, the good soil. That's the soil that is the true elect of God where the, the word comes in and it goes down deep and it springs to life and bears forth much fruit. One reason we don't have unity in churches and in the body of Christ at large is because there are people within the visible body who have not been united with the head that is Christ. The body, but they're not connected to the head, so they're like arms and legs. But they're not doing what the head tells them to do because they're not united to Christ. The reason that they have constant endless problems with the true church and even within themselves, within their own conduct, is because they don't have the royal blood of Christ pulsing through their spiritual veins, giving them life which flows from the heart of Christ. You have to have a category in your mind for understanding that that may be why this person, this individual, cannot get along with anybody no matter what. No church is good enough for them. Well, it might be that they are not a part of the body. Christ is not their head. Rather, they might just be wolves in sheep's clothing. This is why they look like a sheep and they associate with the sheep, but they don't eat sheep food and drink sheep water, water that flows from the river of life. Instead, they feed on other sheep. They satisfy their thirst by lapping up the blood that pools around the bodies of the sheep that they've killed. Now, this is a massive problem in the church today. And it is a constant threat, both to evangelicalism at large and to the local church in particular. Someone said that a worse problem than a wolf in sheep's clothing is a wolf in shepherd's clothing. And that happens, and that happens quite a bit. Now the sheep in Christ's flock will hear the shepherd's voice and they will follow him. They hear his calls to humility, to unity, to obedience, and they follow him. Why do they do that? Why is the voice of Christ from the word of God and preached by faithful churches and faithful pastors, why does that catch their attention? Why do they hear that and they recognize it? Why is that? Well, it's because the third person of the Trinity dwells within them. The Holy Spirit is within them, and he's the one who inspired the word. And there's unity within the Trinity. So that work of the Spirit in inspiring the scripture coincides with the work of Christ and the will of the Father. And these three all are in perfect harmony. They hear the Spirit's wooing. They hear, they feel and sense His drawing. The work of the Spirit in His people will be effective and it will be effective to bring them safely home and it will empower them to walk as a Christian. If you want to make beautiful music, you have to walk in the power of God. The reason there's no beautiful music coming out of your keyboard might just be that your keyboard is not plugged in to the power source it also might be that that plug is like starting to fall out and if you are truly a sheep of God when the shepherd the good shepherd calls and you've gone missing he goes looking for you and to mix our metaphors when he sees that power plug that's coming out he pushes it back in and says no you're back in you're not falling away But that's unpleasant. It's unpleasant being the sheep that's tipped over and having the shepherd come looking for you and find you. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing being caught upside down or stuck in mud or being eaten alive by wolves. That's unpleasant. If you want your life to be a song of praise to God, if you want to make beautiful music, you must walk in the power of God. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be valleys and shadows of darkness. That doesn't mean there won't be a minor tone to a large segment of your song that is your life. But it does mean that God can work in all of that to make this harmony, this beautiful final product. Which leads us now to our last point, point five. To make beautiful music sing together. To make beautiful music, sing together. Look at verses six and seven. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That is together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So to make beautiful music, sing together. Now, for the sake of this message, let's just say, if you're a musician, just bear with me here, let's just say that a choir is better, more glorious than a soloist. Let's say that the symphony is greater than the recital. Something incredible happens when all the pieces of the orchestra come together. When every voice in the choir is singing at the right notes at the right time, something incredible happens when everything is coming together just right. Now, when your choir or choir member refuses to participate or one of the altos refuses to get along with another alto for some petty reason, like, oh, that person's new and I just don't really like them. They they joined in the spring semester After transferring in from a different school, they just showed up here and now they're in the best choir and I had to work for this. I climbed the ladder. It took me three and a half years to get to this position and who are you? You just transferred in from some other school. We don't know you. We don't like you. We don't accept you as part of the Alto Twos. You won't welcome them. When that happens... Your alto section isn't going to work. Now, if you don't know what alto means, just imagine. It's it's the it's the women who sing low. It's the women who can read music. Oh. <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah. And within choirs, just like within churches, sometimes people can be grumpy and ornery and petty and difficult and they're saying, I don't really like you. Well, why? No, just because. Oh, well, you're new. You're not, in, you're, you're not part of my friend group that I've had for a long period of time. Now, you might be here at this church and you're like, Andy, I'm one of the originals. You're like Alex Waddell, he's like, Andy, I've been with you through thick and thin and I will be with you through thick and thin. And you know, maybe Alex might look at someone else and be like, Who are you? you're new here. I'm not going to be your friend. You just got here. We can't do that. Now, he would never do that, but I would encourage you to don't do that and don't be tempted to do that to say, "Now I have my friend group and my friend group is this little row right here and those, that's it. I got enough people in my friend group and I'm not going to expand it. If you're going to make beautiful music, you got to sing together. You have to welcome one another. Together with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Without that approach, without that approach, that willingness to welcome one another, you won't have one united church that glorifies the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to have little subgroups within the church. You're going to have the, you know, we're the Alto Twos church and we're the, you know, Tenor Ones church and we're better than you because whatever. And the, the applications for this are nearly infinite. Christianity is a team sport. And it involves more people than just you. This means it's a bad thing when you get a note from the teacher that says, does not play well with others. And if that's you, you have an obligation to be aware of that. And to the best of your abilities, once you get tipped back up on your feet again, and once the blood starts flowing through your legs again, and you can feel your feet and you can walk, you have some obligation to hear those around you who are saying, all right, hey, let's let's work on this. It's going to take some tolerance from us, and it's going to need some growing from you so that you can participate in the whole. You can be part of the flock and not wander off and get eaten by wolves. I know some people in the conservative reformed movement who are so caustic. If you don't know the word caustic, it's C-A-U-S-T-I-C, caustic. It's like cancerous, poisonous, acidic. Someone who you just, you can't stand being around them. There are some people, many people even, in the conservative reformed movement who are so caustic that they have virtually no friends at all. And then the friends that they do have are hardly willing to associate with them or at least not in public. They have no desire to do anything together, and they certainly won't welcome one another. I had a situation a year and a half, a year and whatever ago, when um, my wife and I were in, not married yet. We were engaged, and we were going to get married, and the preacher who was supposed to do the wedding uh, was an Assemblies of God pastor. So he's a charismatic Pentecostal. There were people who were really angry with me. Not, not like members of our current church, but there were some people who were really like, aggressively angry that I would allow a pastor who was a charismatic to perform our wedding. And I was, just my, I was baffled by this. Like, are you kidding me? You're saying this is going to say something bad about you, Andy. This is going to what? What will this say about you if you have a Pentecostal doing your wedding ceremony? It's like, well, I think it'd say good things about me. It would say that I'm willing to be friends with people who aren't exactly like me. That I have friends who aren't copy and paste of myself. There are these people who are so separatistic. They have no friends whatsoever. They've seemingly forgotten that they were welcomed by Christ at some point. That at some point they were a stranger and Jesus welcomed them in and invited them to the table and said, Welcome home, my child. You're part of the family. We all have an obligation to keep that in mind. That maybe heaven might not look exactly like this church. I think it might, but it might not too. Now, none of this means that we throw off all restraint and regulations because, hey, we're supposed to be nice. But instead, we are commanded to keep the glory of God at the forefront, at the center. That is the goal, that is the object. We have to keep the glory of God at the center of our minds and hearts. That is the thing which keeps the ship right side up and headed on course. There are things that are unpleasant to do, but the Bible tells us to do them because it's about the glory of God, not about the glory of you or me. And when we remember that and we say, no, this is about the glory of God, then that compels us to obedience, Spiritually speaking, we do not make up our own song or rules of music. We don't bring our own piece of music to the choir rehearsal and say, actually, God, I'm going to sing this song. I know you told us to bring that song, but I brought my own song. I'm going to sing my own song in choir rehearsal while everybody else is singing God's song. We sing the piece that the conductor picked out. And if he asks us to sing tenor one, tenor two, or bass one, we do it, and we do it to the best of our ability. For the good of the whole and for the glory of God. Because the glory of God is what regulates us. The glory of God is what sets the agenda. This text, by the way, is not an excuse to let abuse run rampant in a church or home. It is not an excuse to let sinful conduct go on uncorrected. Because the big agenda is the glory of God. And that rules out overlooking wicked conduct in the name of putting up with a weaker brother. Putting up with a weaker brother is not overlooking evil, abhorrent, wicked conduct. God is not glorified in your acts of rebellion against him. Other than the glory that he receives in pouring out his wrath or distributing justice to the wicked. that's not the kind of glory we want to bring to God. According to Ephesians, the purpose of the church is to display the glory of God. That means we exist for his honor. We exist to honor the one who is the composer, the conductor, the owner, and the patron of this collection of vocal artists. So, to make beautiful music, we must sing together. This is how to make beautiful music. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, I pray that you would help us, that our lives would be songs of praise to you, and that this would, that this church would continue to grow to be a place that is focused on the glory of God, that this is a God centered church. And that we would be God-centered Christians, that we would not be trying to make it up as we go along, trying to invent our own religion or invent our own lives or find ourselves or create ourselves, but that we would be united with him. That we would set the cross always before our eyes. That our union with Christ would be what compels us and, and motivates us and drives us forward. That when we sin and when we fall, when we get tripped up, that we would cry out to you and look to you. For you, the gentle shepherd, are coming to help us, to restore us, to rebuke us and correct us, to discipline us, to, to put us back on our feet and to lead us carefully by the hand, saying, no, you will not stray again. I will be with you. I will help you. Lord, I pray now that you would take these words and apply them to our hearts,